exile. That's where we're at this morning. We're talking about exile. Now, it's not probably not a word that you think of uh, most often, but I'm sure you've had life experiences where you have been exiled. Perhaps uh, you were mucking up in the classroom and the teacher sent you out. You were exiled from the classroom. I've, I've had that experience. So I wasn't always the best boy. Uh, we've had, you, you might have had situations where you've been exiled from a group of friends or colleagues. Perhaps you were at odds with your spouse and you got exiled to the couch. Or perhaps you've experienced uh, time in prison, being exiled from society for something you did. What did it feel like? Exile is not a place to be. Exile is a, is a place of exclusion, of being pushed away, of, of being broken, having broken fellowship, you know, broken relationships. There's, there's an unresolved issue there. Exile pushes you away and into the wilderness, metaphorically, or in the case of the Israelites, literally. And even if you were exiled for something that you did, it was justifiable. It was the consequences of your actions that brought you to being out of fellowship with other people. It's still a painful experience. It's still, you still feel a bit lost because God made us to live together in community and, and in love. It can be a painful experience, even if it's only temporary. That's perhaps why parents use isolation as a, as a discipline tactic for kids. But there's so much joy and relief when exile comes to an end, when there's restoration in relationships. You were separated, but now you're united. You were apart, now you're together. Fellowship is restored, there is reconciliation. And, and this theme of exile and the coming together, the reconciliation at the end of exile, is a theme that shows up across the pages of Scripture. And so that's why we're looking at it here this morning. This is our sixth and final look at the big picture of the Bible. Normally, week to week, we're getting stuck into uh, one specific passage, bit by bit, seeing the unfolding Word of God in John, which we're going to do next. But we've been looking over these last few weeks as the big picture unfolding across the pages of Scripture. But it's so deep that there's plenty more themes that we could look at that run right through the Bible. But these six that we've looked at should give us a good, give us a good feel for the way that the, the Scriptures fit together. And so we're finishing here with exile. And I hope it's given you a greater appreciation for the cohesiveness of Scripture. You've seen the unfolding picture of salvation that takes place across thousands of years at God's hand. And as ever, as we start to look at this, this theme, where should we start? Kids, I wonder if you know, where should we start to find this theme? In the beginning. We're going to go back to Genesis. The first exile happened in Eden. Humans were in perfect unity with God. They were living there with God. He created them. He put them there in the garden to work it and to keep it. They had good work to do. It, it, was, it was work, but it was good work. God lived with them there. God would come and walk with them and talk with them. God uh, blessed them and, and gave them an abundance of, uh, of food to eat. He provided all of their needs, and so they lived there with God in, in, a, in a perfect innocence, in, in, in unity with one another and with God. But there was a breakdown in that relationship. Why? Because people rebelled against God. People were disloyal 
to God. The relationship was severed. These humans that were made in the image of God, given good work to do by God, given a great commission to fill the earth and multiply and subdue it, they were now exiled from God's presence. We see it in Genesis chapter 3. The Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. Humans were exiled out of the garden. They were sent east of Eden. And in the scriptures, you'll see that's one of those other themes that shows up throughout the pages. The east, there's something symbolic about the east in the scriptures. When you go out to the east, it's a place of exile. It's a place of abandonment. Later on, God's spirit would leave the temple and go out to the east. But he would also return from the east. But here it is, it is humans who are sent out of the garden. They're sent out to the east. And they are exiled from God. An exile that continues down to this day. This is an exile of humanity being separated from God. They had a wonderful job to do, but now they were wandering the land apart from God. So God set about a plan to redeem his people, to bring them back. And he wanted to do it through a special family, starting with one family, that then this, this blessing of redeeming this one family would spread to the rest of the world. And that family was Abraham's family who, and his descendants through one of his descendants called Israel. They would be the people of God united to him. He would, he would bring them out of their exile and he would be a light to the world through them, telling all the other nations about God and trying to bring them in to unity, back to reconciliation with God, back to the blessing of living in God's presence. And so God promised them a land. It would be like a kind of a Garden of Eden 2.0, if we could put it that way. A, a special place, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that would be, a, would be fit for them to live in and to flourish, to, to live with God, with the temple in the center where they could go and worship him. But before the time came for them to settle the land, they had to do a sojourn down into Egypt. And they went down into Egypt to escape from a drought. But while they were down there in their sojourning, they started to become disloyal to God. They started to worship the idols of Egypt. They were unfaithful. God had made this promise for them to go into this promised land. God had, God had come to them and he said he would be their God. And he would be, they would be his people, but they were disloyal to him and they worshipped other gods. And so they were trapped in Egypt as slaves for hundreds and hundreds of years. But they remembered the Lord and they cried out to him in their distress, in their slavery. And God said he would save them. And so he sent Moses to lead them out of the promised land. They were led out of their exile in Egypt, so to speak. He promised that he would bring them into the promised land. And he would live with them there, that they would flourish there. And so God brought them out of Egypt and he entered into a covenant with them and invited them to, to come in to, and to be loyal to him. He would protect and provide them for them and bring them into this promised land. It seemed like the exile was over. 
And so then they came up to the promised land. And they failed to remain loyal. After God had sprung the Israelites from Egypt, they started making their way through the desert to the promised land. They were ready to go in and take control. God had given them the ground rules for how they were to live in the law. And they had to go in and drive out God's enemies who were occupying the land. They were essentially squatters. God, they were enemies of God. And they had to be driven out. So Israel, in their preparation for going into the land, they, they sent in 12 spies to go in and suss out, you know, what's the state of, of, of play? Who lives here? What's it like? Let's get an idea. Let's get the intel. Let's do the reconnaissance. And so the 12 spies came back and 10 of them were terrified. And so they basically said to the, the nation of Israel, they basically said, no, we can't do it. They're too strong. It's going to be too hard. We can't take our kids up into the land with us. Our kids are going to get killed. So they basically said, we shouldn't go in. But two spies said, no, let's trust God and do what God said. But who do you think the nation listened to? They listened to the 10 spies that gave the bad report. And so they said, no, we're not going to go up. We're not going to do it. We don't trust the Lord. Even after God had just sprung them from Egypt, after God had just delivered them through the waters, after God had poured out these plagues of judgment on Egypt and God had led them through the wilderness and a pillar of of cloud and fire. And they said, no, it's too scary. They didn't trust God. They were unfaithful. And so they rebelled against God at Meribah. And God said, okay, well, now you're going into exile for 40 years. You're going to spend 40 years wandering the desert. But your little ones, who you said would become prey, I will bring in to the land. And they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. So basically, God was saying, this generation of people who came up out of Egypt, all the adults who came up out of Egypt, you don't get to enter the land because you rebelled against God. Because of their faithlessness, they went into exile. It's a hard thing to bear, but once again, it's the judgment of God in their unfaithfulness, in their disloyalty. They didn't want to go along with God and so God said well that's fine you don't have to go along with me you can die in the desert instead it's hard but this is in some sense God gives you what you want if you want to be with him he will be be with you but if you want to reject him he will reject you but like in Egypt this exile wouldn't last forever God would rescue his people from their wandering in the desert he would be merciful to them and so he did bring them into the land that 40 years later and he did give them the land and he drove out their enemies before them he set them up with such blessings he gave them vineyards that they didn't plant houses that they didn't have to build cities that were prepared for them they took charge of the land and received God's blessing when they came back from exile And there they would have God dwell with them, firstly in the tabernacle, but then in the temple. And they would worship him there in the promised land. But, and you're probably noticing a theme here, it wouldn't last. There would be another exile. The pattern repeats, the people were unfaithful. Time after time they rejected God. Just read Judges and you just see this continual cycle of, 
they would call out to the God and then they would turn off and do their own thing and then they would go be subjected to their enemies something would happen and they would they would suffer and so God they would call out to God again and he would save them and they would stick with him and be loyal to him for a while and then they'd turn off and do their own thing again everybody would did what was right in their own eyes but over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years they they would turn to the Lord and they would serve him but time after time they rejected God and they would worship idols or do their own thing God kept restoring them. He kept being patient with them. He kept saying, turn back to me, turn back to me. Even the kings of the people would do the same. They would turn away from God. And God was very, very patient, very long-suffering. But they went into exile. They suffered under the judgment of God because they refused to listen. And God sent them prophets after prophets after prophets to call them back to the Lord. Turn back to the Lord. Become faithful to the Lord. Put away your idols. Be loyal to him. But they refused to listen. On the whole. And so by this time, the, Israel had divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, confusingly called Israel, and the southern kingdom called Judah. Or you might, in the scriptures, sometimes they're referred to by their capital cities, Samaria and Jerusalem. So they wouldn't listen. And so God sent the north into exile under the Assyrian Empire. And then a few years later, the Babylonians came in and took over Judah and sent them into exile. That's where you find people like uh, Ezekiel on the shores of the Kabar Canal, crying out to God and, and hearing from God in exile. But this is what happened in, from Second Chronicles. They burned the house of God and broke down all the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces and with fire and destroyed its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, which we read earlier, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Now, you might remember if you've read the law recently that the, the people of Israel, as part of the, the law that God gave them, they were supposed to rest the land. They were supposed to have Sabbaths, time of work and then time of rest, both in a weekday, six days work, one day rest, but also the land. They were supposed to rest the land periodically. And that would lead them to trust in God. God, you're going to provide for us because we're not going to be working the land for this next season. But the people refused to trust God in that way. And so they didn't rest the land. The land didn't get its Sabbaths. And so God, on top of all the other stuff they did, God drove them into exile because of their refusal to obey his law. And so as, <laughs> as they go into exile for 70 years, it's almost as though the land gets all of its exile, uh, all of its Sabbaths back to back. It's 70, it's almost like God had waited they were up until they had accrued 70 Sabbaths that they were meant to have given the land. And so God gave the land its rest for 70 years. So God sent judgment. And they were meant, there was a whole bunch of people who lost out on God's blessing because of their unfaithfulness. And unfortunately, there was a faithful few who got caught up in this, like, like Ezekiel, like Jeremiah, who was constantly proclaiming to the people, turn to God, turn to God, you're going to be sent into exile. They rather listened to the teachers and, and prophets who tickled their ears and said, nah, don't worry about it. God's, 
God's not going to send you into exile. But Jeremiah, the faithful prophet, proclaimed this message day after day after day. For 25 years, I think he said. And yet he still suffered with the rest of the nation as they were defeated. And he got whisked off to Egypt as the people tried to escape what was coming. But there was hope still. Even though the prophets had told them and called them to repent and called them back to God time after time after time, God still gave them a message of hope. Even though you're going to rebel, even though you're going to disobey God and be disloyal, even so, I will still rescue you. I will still bring restoration to you. I will send you into exile, but I'll bring you back. And so, after 70 years in Babylon, the people of Judah, the Jews, we were allowed to return home and start rebuilding. And so they were looking forward to seeing all of these promises fulfilled. God's going to come back. God's going to dwell with us. God's going to live with us. We're going to have blessing again. It's going to be great. It's going to be a golden age under God. They were looking forward to seeing all these promises in the prophets fulfilled. But it was a bit anticlimactic. Yes, they got to go home, but they didn't get all their land back. There was a new temple that they built, but it was pretty pitiful compared with the last one they had no king appointed by god so even though they were in the land it was as if they were still spiritually in exile they were still waiting and so they created this great longing for god to restore them once again a great hope and that's what you had in that intertestamental period this growing hope and desire to see god fulfill all of his promises they were hanging out to see when's going to god going to send his anointed prophet again his anointed king when are we going to see this restoration this return from this spiritual exile when is god going to answer our prayers when is he going to come through and deliver us after waiting for hundreds of years a carpenter's son showed up on the scene but he wasn't just an ordinary carpenter's son in the backwaters of of judea no this guy was quite peculiar he was the guy who's going to bring exile to its end and his name was jesus and his name jesus means god saves he's the one who's going to bring salvation for god's people he was also called emmanuel which means god with us finally exile is going to come to its end God had promised beforehand that this guy was going to save his people from their sins. Their continual disloyalty and unfaithfulness, God was going to overcome that. But intriguingly, as he went on this path of salvation to win salvation for his people, Jesus went into exile in Egypt. There's a peculiar verse in, um, where is it? In Matthew where Jesus goes down into, into Egypt as a babe. Uh, uh, rise, uh, the, the Joseph and Mary are warned, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Here we have God, uh, sorry, Jesus, following the path of the Israel, his countrymen before him, going down into Egypt. But unlike 
the Israelites who went down into Egypt to escape death at the, in a famine. Jesus went down into Egypt to escape death, like his nation before him. But unlike those who went before him, he didn't get trapped worshipping the idols of Egypt. He was able to return home when it was safe. He was truly loyal in Egypt where the others hadn't been. And then Jesus went into the wilderness in in a kind of exile, like his countrymen had before him. He went up into the wilderness as an adult, as he was beginning his ministry, like the, the nation of Israel went before him. They went into the wilderness for 40 years. But Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love that understatement. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, and he was, he was hungry. Israel had been in the wilderness 40 years and they faced various temptations and trials. And Jesus went into the wilderness not because of disobedience, but because he was as if he was walking in there and owning their disobedience and wandering in the wilderness. And where Jesus, where they faced many trials and temptations in the wilderness and failed, Jesus would face many trials and temptations in the wilderness at the at Satan's uh, testing, but he would not fail. He would remain faithful where his countrymen had been faithless. He would be loyal where they had been disloyal. Jesus would not give in to the temptation. And so Jesus' active obedience meant that he was the perfect Israelite. He didn't fail where they failed. And if you read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, you see that he obeyed God's law fully where his countrymen had not, where they had rejected it at many points. And even the best of them, the ones who were strictest about the law, the Pharisees, even they had invented rules for themselves that would be loopholes to try and get out of obeying God's law. But Jesus never put a foot wrong, unlike you and I. Like the Israelites, we have been disloyal to God. That's why we confessed our sins and asked for forgiveness earlier, because we have failed to live up to the call that God has for us. We have failed to live up to what he calls us to. We've been faithless, like Adam and Eve before us in Eden, and we deserve perpetual exile from God and his blessings. But not Jesus. He did it all perfectly. He was the only perfect man that ever lived. But he didn't just come to prove that it could be done and say, what? what's so hard about you guys doing it? No, he, he came to do it on our behalf, to do it for us, to do it in our place. It's as if Jesus says, you deserve exile and death for your disloyalty and I have the right to eternal life through my loyalty and own righteousness, but I'll swap you. I'll give you my eternal life, my righteousness, and I'll take your disloyalty. I'll take the punishment that you deserve for your disobedience. And so he went and he died in our place. He went and took all the sins of God's people on himself and atoned for them with his own death. But death could not hold him. In doing this, he actually overcomes death. He disarms death. He removes its sting. He rose from death. He came back to life. And now he he sends out the message into the world. You can come back to life in Jesus Christ. You can have eternal life in Jesus Christ, a resurrection life. 
if only you would be loyal to me. But this is loyalty without strings attached. This is not follow all these rules and you will be able to earn God's uh, blessing. This is belong to Jesus and you will get the loyalty that he has already won, the, the loyalty that he has already got. He's giving his own righteousness to us and he will send his Holy Spirit to be at work in his people to help them to remain loyal throughout all the days of their life. So Jesus came to unite God's people back to him, to end the exile, the, the, the time of separation. There was reconciliation. And then intriguingly, we after Jesus has risen from the dead, he's ascended into heaven and he's told his disciples that you're going to have to send, spread this news across the world, but don't do it just yet. Just hang out in Jerusalem for a few weeks. And so the disciples did that. They, they hung around and they waited and they twiddled their thumbs and then on the Feast of Pentecost, they were there in the city of Jerusalem. And who else was there? The scriptures tell us that there were people there from all across the world. People from all across, basically, the Roman Empire. And as we know from, like, Philip, there was people who'd come up from Africa, who would come up to, to worship God or to, to come to this festival. Places where God's people had been scattered all across the world. And what happens? God's Holy Spirit comes and the gospel is proclaimed. Exile is ended. You can be united to God through this man, Jesus Christ. The judgment is over. But it wasn't just for God's people who were there, those people who were already loyal to God those Jews and those proselytes, those people who had kind of converted to Judaism, this good news was going to be for everybody. Anybody can come in. Anybody can come in. And now is the day. Now is the time of salvation. And so God sent his disciples out across the world to take this message, to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, telling everybody that you can come in and your exile can be ended. Come in, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. You can come in to God's people, to come into God's kingdom. You can be reconciled. You can receive a guarantee that you will live with God under his blessing forever, for eternity. And that's great news. But it doesn't kind of feel like I've received the fullness of that. I don't know about you. But sometimes life is still hard. Sometimes I still feel far from God. Even though his Holy Spirit has come, even though his Holy Spirit is at work through his church, we are still in a kind of exile. It's as though we're in exile in Babylon again. And my slides have stopped working. Apologies for that. We're in exile again in Babylon. We haven't seen the completion of the work Jesus has uh, won salvation and the Holy Spirit has been sent, but we're not gathered together in a promised land. We're not all living together under God's rule in a special place that he has for us, in a land of milk and honey. We're sojourners in this land, looking for the fulfillment of all the promises still. Even though we've received this reunification through Jesus Christ, we haven't received the fullness of the promises yet. We're still looking for the fullness of all the promises. And because we're still looking for that, some people took it upon themselves to try and uh, deliver on them through down through the ages. 
you might think of the Roman Empire. They became Christian and they thought, oh, we're, we're it. We're, we're going to deliver on the promises of God and create a, a Christian utopia. But as we know, that wasn't going to be it. Other countries have tried to do it. I think England kind of had a bit of a vibe for a time going, you know, we're going to be it. We're going to be the beacon. We're going to be where God's people are. But it didn't work out. Some of the, the Dutch uh, immigrants to South Africa thought, here we are. We're going to set up a new Israel in this new land. It's going to be the place where God's people come. This is going to be the new promised land. But as we know, they wouldn't come through and fulfill that. And uh, America has a, bit of a, uh, has a bit of a reputation for having a bit of a, a we're a chosen people complex. They talk about themselves as a, as a city on a hill. Down through the history, there have been people who've thought that they're it. They're the end of exile. They're going to be this new promised land. And there's plenty of cults who want to try and deliver on that. But we were encouraged through the scriptures in the New Testament to be waiting patiently to see the fulfillment of these promises at God's hand. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He was encouraging the Christians in this time of exile as they face persecution, as they face trials and difficulties, that they needed to remain faithful. They needed to remain loyal to God in the midst of it. We must not be like those who went before us who were disloyal, who turned against God. We need to remain faithful. And that's what Peter calls us to. That's what God calls us to. And as the exiles of Egypt in the wilderness, in Babylon, came to an end. Soon our exile will come to an end. And we get a bit of a picture of that in Revelation, where we see at the end, we've got word pictures being painted of what it will be like when God's people are called out. Because it's as though we are living in Babylon. Babylon is a word used in, in, in Revelation to kind of describe the world as enemies of God. And so, in Revelation, God's people are called out of Babylon where they've been living in the world, but not of the world. In Revelation chapter 18, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped up high as heaven. God has remembered her iniquities. So God's people are called out of Babylon. They're called out of their exile, and they are brought into the holy city, the heavenly Jerusalem, a new Eden, where they will live with God, where there is the tree of life, where there is the water uh, that comes out of the temple, the river of life that brings blessing to God's people. Here, exile will fully and finally be finished. The promises will fully and finally be fulfilled and we will rest with the Lord in that Sabbath forever. It's a garden city full of life where our exile will be over. So what do you do now? Well, we just read it in, in what Peter called us to do. As what most of the New Testament calls us to do in those letters. It's letters to the church saying, remain faithful, be faithful to the Lord, believe and trust in Jesus, be loyal to God. That is what is for you to do now as you wait in this exile. You can't force the exile to go to an end. Like the Israelites in the wilderness, after God pronounced his judgment, they said, oh, oh, we're We're sorry. Let's go. And they tried to charge into the promised land and do it on their own steam. And it became a big failure. 
It's not for us to go and to take the charge and to, uh, and to try and force God's exile to come to an end. But you just need to remain faithful with what God has given for you, to be faithful into that, to, to be loyal all the days of your life. That is the charge to you, the command from God for us, to be faithful sojourners all the days of our exile as we look forward to the end and the fulfilling of all our hopes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is hope in exile, that we are not left here to languish, but you are working here with us right now and you will bring us home to you and we will receive the fullness of all the blessings. Lord, we are looking to you and trusting you for this because it's nothing in our own strength that can provide this. Lord, help us to abstain from the passions of the flesh, as Peter put it to walk uh, as loyal, faithful exiles all the days of our sojourning. Lord, bring us home to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Samuel. I like the uh, concept of the